What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the program. It is episode 301 of Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Hayden. As always, you can listen to the program on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. And you can follow our social pages on Facebook and Twitter slash X for the latest updates. Good to be back with you folks this week. Uh, before we go any further, just want to say thanks to uh, Evan Grayson coming on the pod last week uh, for Guest Friday. Good conversation about uh, the Red Sox offseason. I know that it's been, you know, somewhat of a disappointment, but I think it was a good uh, conversation with Evan. So if you have not uh, listened to it, you can go check it out um, on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify, as you may have uh, noticed by our social pages, not doing uh, Guest Friday this week. We do have something scheduled uh, next week, fortunately, so we'll be back, um, but only doing uh, the, 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 only doing this pod this week. So, um, maybe a little bit shorter, not as much um, information to get to, you know, really there's plenty of Bruins and Celtics, but you know, not very much of the other three teams. Um, you know, I think we will start with the Patriots cause there are a couple, um, items that I wanted to talk about. Um, but then we have plenty of Bruins takes, our Bruins thoughts, uh, Celtics thoughts as well. Um, so we're going to get right into the Patriots. Um, obviously no news yet uh, for the offensive coordinator. I believe that um, one of the names that they interviewed, Zach Robinson, has taken the uh, Falcons job, uh, the same same job, offensive coordinator. So still no... Um, no decision has been made on that front yet. You know, it doesn't surprise me. I think that this, you know, offensive coordinator search will be pretty lengthy and in-depth. And, you know, I think especially if they're going to go a different direction in terms of what they're going to be doing offensively, you know, I think that it makes sense that you widen your search as much as you can uh, to figure out the best fit for uh, your football team. But, you know, then again, I think, considering all the kind of big decisions that this team has to make, you know, I think it's like, obviously who you hire matters, but then again, it's like kind of also depends on the players that you bring in. So I'd be curious to see what happens with that. But uh, the Patriots have decided on a defensive coordinator, which is great. Uh, Demarcus Covington uh, was uh, formerly the uh, defensive line coach over the last couple of years is now taking over the a defensive coordinator title. Now, not sure if that means that he'll be calling plays. You know, unsure if that's Mayo, something he'll do, or possibly Steve Belichick, assuming that he returns. Um, you know, I think with the news that Atlanta went a different direction than Bill Belichick, you know, might stand to reason that Steve and Brian stay with the Patriots, but I guess we'll see. Um, so I think... The decision to hire Covington, I think, is a really good decision. Um, I think that, yes, you think about the offensive side of the ball, I think that people would like to have something different than, you know, the types of offenses that they ran in the last 10, 15 years or whatever it is. But um, I think you look at their defense and you look at the guys that they have, you look at their performance this year and how good they were, it kind of makes sense that you would keep some continuity with that defense, keeping a coach that 
the guys are familiar with, they're familiar playing with, it's a system they're familiar with. Um, and I think it's it's the best thing that they could do for this defense. Uh, certainly they could have brought in someone else from the outside, but I think it's for this defense and how good they were this year, it makes sense for continuity purposes. Um, you know, also the defense you would think is going to have a healthy season of Matt Judon and Christian Gonzalez. You know, it'll be interesting to see, you know, depending on the moves in free agency, you know, what does this defense look like? But I think it would, it stands to reason it would be about the same. You know, maybe there's some changes at certain spots um, on the field. You know, I think that there are some defensive players that will hit free agency that, you know, you kind of go back and forth about whether they'll uh, return or not. Kyle Duggar and Josh Uche kind of come to mind. But you think about some of the other big-time players uh, that had good seasons this year. Jabril Peppers, Christian Barmore, Jawan Bentley, um, you know, Jonathan Jones. You know, you think about some of those guys, and those guys will return. Um, and then, you know, Judon and Gonzalez, arguably your two best defensive players, will be back. And it just is always funny to think about. Um, you think about the fact that the defense was so good last year and they played the majority of this season without their best two defenders. So, you know, I think, again, it just kind of goes back to you have a really good defense. You want to keep it as, as as close to the same as you can because I think if this team can get close to the same defensive production as they did last year, there's a very good chance that they could be competitive. You know, if they can make the correct moves on offense, they can do the right things. You know, that's it's a good place to be with having a good found having the foundation of a really good defense. And I think, you know, that's what the Patriots' strength is right now. And I think that that's what it should be going forward. Not to say that, okay, they should be known as just a good defensive team, but I think having a foundation of being a good defensive team um, is kind of the starting of the building blocks of being a quality competitive team. So um, another Patriots thing that I was curious about um, is just taking a look at free agents um, and taking a look at some players that the Patriots could look at and also uh, taking a look at some Patriot free agents that are currently on the team that will be free agents and whether you know the Patriots will bring them back. So the one player that I think I'm very curious about and I think really could be you know, someone that is kind of is, is kind of very important to the Patriots. Um, and that's Micah Wenu. And I think is incredibly important to what they're trying to do on the offensive line. And I think that is their best offensive lineman, but I think it's going to be very curious to see how the Patriots approach the offseason with him. Um, I think he can be someone that has the ability to play both guard and tackle. You know, the Patriots played him mostly, have played him 
kind of equally at both positions. They kind of were able to kick him out to right tackle at a point this year. And, you know, I think he's a guy that I would really like to retain if I'm the Patriots. You know, I think it's, you know, the offensive line is very important to this team's success. You know, and as I've said probably multiple times, doesn't really matter the players that you have. The playmakers doesn't really matter who the coordinator is. If you don't have a quality offensive line, none of that matters. And so I think the best way to keep a quality offensive line is to retain your guys that are important to your team. And I think that Iwenu is that. Um, and he should be re-signed. I really don't see a reason why he shouldn't. And I just, I have I have serious concerns that the Patriots won't re-sign him. And I think my thought is like, in, in in theory, yes, you could let him go, but there needs to be a backup plan. Um, and I think it's just like offensive line needs to be a priority. I know that like there needs to be a priority in terms of getting more playmakers on the offensive side, you know, getting a quarterback that can take care of the football and be smart. But it's like you need to have a good offensive line. You just need to. It's imperative. So, you know, I hope that the decision-making is solid in terms of bringing him back. You know, Kyle Duggar is someone else that, you know, could be back. I think the Patriots really, really like him, and I think he's a good guy in the locker room. Um, I would hope that he can stay, um, but it'll be interesting to see kind of what his market is. Um, Taking a look at some kind of non-Patriots free agents, you know, wide receiver is an area that I think they could look at. Uh, Calvin Ridley is a name from the Jaguars. I think the Patriots could look at um, Michael Pittman as well. Uh, really like watching him play in Indianapolis. Um, and then someone else. Well, Mike Evans is an interesting name, but considering his age, I don't know if it would be a good fit, but obviously is still a very good player, had a very good season this year. Um, there's someone, uh, T. Higgins, that's who it was. Um, I could see the Patriots making a run for him in free agency. And so I think this is, to me, the best way that the Patriots can look at adding some playmakers on offense is through free agency and looking at some wide receivers, maybe looking at another tight end to add with Hunter Henry, assuming that he comes back. Um, He's also a free agent, and I think should be a candidate to return. Um, But I think this is the area where you could look at them making a big splash for for any of those receivers that I just mentioned. Um, Higgins, uh, Mike Evans, Michael Pittman, you know, any of those names, I could see the Patriots making a you know, serious offer to someone like that. Uh, Marquise Brown, possibly, you know, he could be someone I could see them making a deal for in like a smaller, like a smaller contract. Um, You know, offensive line will be interesting. You know, I think that Owenu's market is going to be interesting because there's not a whole lot of like great linemen that are available. Tyron Smith uh, from the Cowboys has always been a very good lineman, but he is getting up there in age. Uh, Jonah Williams also from 
Uh, the Bengals is a name to watch as well. Um, you know, just looking at some other guys who play offensive tackle that uh, the Patriots could, could take a look at. Um, Dalton Schultz, I think, could be an interesting name for the Patriots to take a look at. Uh, signed a one-year deal, was with Houston this past year. You know, could be someone the Patriots look at as possibly a second tight end, uh, just to give them some more options in the passing game. So just kind of some free agent names to think about uh, for the Patriots. We'll obviously, you know, pay attention a lot to this when free agency gets closer uh, for the Patriots. But I think for the moment, the best spot, I think, is... The, the, I think the best way to improve this team quickly is through free agency. And the good news is the Patriots do have a lot of space. And so I expect that they'll be fairly aggressive in looking at some of those guys at those positions. Um, because I think, yes, you have a great draft pick. You're going to have some good quality young guys to bring in. But you also want to bring in some established NFL talent. So... Uh, I think it'll be curious, I think, at the wide receiver position and on the offensive line um, to take a look at both of those spots for areas that the Patriots could make improvements in. Um, so I think we're going to move on. We're going to talk about the Bruins, who continue to uh, really impress coming into the All-Star break this weekend. Bruins played their final game of the unofficial first half. Saturday in Philadelphia, a 6-2 win. Bruins were just dominant in this game. Um, I think, you know, one of the things that I noticed recently watching this team, um, I think, you know, it was, if I think about this, it was a good performance against Winnipeg. Um, and I think the Bruins really passed that test with flying colors are really good defensively in this game. Um, I kind of did have concerns about the Carolina game, but I think the Bruins did a good job bouncing back. I think there was a lot of stuff that went against them in Ottawa, um, especially with the officiating, but I think the Bruins persevered, were able to do enough to get that win and then just dominate the Flyers and just completely outplay a team that I kind of thought were going to play the Bruins harder than they did, but the Bruins brought the correct effort and, you know, were pretty unbelievable in this game. Just the game, the game that they played, just they've become a team that is, when they're playing their best, a team that's hard to play against with the different guys that can beat you offensively. So, you know, Van Riemsdyk had a good game. Pasternak, three points for each of those guys. You know, Frederick had an assist. He continues to play really inspired hockey. And, you know, there's not much to say about how good Charlie Coyle has been. Um, you know, I think has been one of their, if not their most consistent player. Uh, just brings it every single night and is... I think surprised a lot of people, including myself, um, you know, just the way that he's been able to be so consistent, putting up points nearly every night. You know, it looks like 
the way that he's playing, it looks like he's going to shatter his, like, career-high points, which I think is, like, I think it's, like, 56 is his career-high in points, and he's got 42 right now. So just how well he's played has just been a revelation, um, considering, you know, what he had to be a part of replacing you know, with Bergeron and Krejci both retiring, you know, there was a lot of questions, I think, in the offseason, and rightfully so, about, okay, how are the Bruins going to go about replacing these two legends? And make no mistake, Charlie Coyle is not Patrice Bergeron. He's not David Krejci, but, you know, plays the game very smartly. And they think plays the game in a similar way that they that those two do, or did, Um just how smart he is with the puck and making good decisions and making plays for other guys and, you know, also understanding when it's his turn to, you know, take take a chance and, you know, make a play in terms of scoring a goal. So he's just been excellent. You know, I really have been very impressed with him, uh, you know, and it seems like this is now been kind of a regular thing with him the last couple of years. He's really started to, you know, come into his own as a really quality player, you know, I think has been one of their most consistent players in the last three years, you know, played 82 games each of the last two years, you know, is on his way to play 82 games again. And, you know, 44 points two years ago, 45 points last year, you know, well on his way, I think, to set career highs in uh, goals, assists, and points. You know, 18 goals, 24 assists at the moment right now with 32 games to play. I think he's going to go well over 60 points with the way that he's performing. I think it's great to see how comfortable the Bruins are putting him on that top line. And yeah, I think more often than not, if you're playing with Guys like Pasternak and Marchand are going to pile up points. Um, but he's been excellent. So, you know, one of the definite, very bright spots of the season. You know, as we look at the team at the All-Star break, you know, Frederick's been unbelievable. Has almost matched his career high in, you know, goals, assists, and points. 29 points at this point in the season. Had 31 all of last year. You know, 17 goals. At the end of the season, has 14 right now. You know, already has more assists than he did last season. So, been very impressed with the both of them. You know, Van Riemsdyk is a guy that's turned back the clock and has played really good hockey for the Bruins at times. And, you know, I think I've always said how impressed I've been with Heinen. He continues to be really, really solid and someone that the Bruins feel very comfortable uh, playing at different positions. Um, you know, here I've, you know, oftentimes talked about the things that I've been very impressed with and the things that make you feel optimistic about the team. But I will say that there are some areas that I think, you know, could could be of slight concern. And I think... <clears throat> The one area that I don't know if I've seen really great improvement is 
how the Bruins perform defensively against teams that forecheck really, really hard. You know, looking at Florida, looking at Carolina, and I didn't think the Bruins played particularly well against Carolina. You know, the Bruins are such a resilient team. They have no issue coming back in some of these games, but just the way Carolina made it really difficult makes me a little bit concerned when the postseason comes up because the way that they played is very similar to the way Florida played. Um, and it gave the Bruins really, really huge problems, obviously, because they lost the series and always had a hard time getting the puck out of the zone. So, you know, I think that's something to pay attention to. You know, I think <clears throat> defensively, they've had some warts this season. They've not nearly been as good as they were last year. You know, I think uh, Lindholm is being asked to do a lot more than he was last season. And I think you've seen some guys have some periods of time where they don't play great hockey. And I think Matt Grizzlick has had some issues this year. You know, Carlo, I think, as well. So, you know, I think defense is an area that I think you could see an improvement in terms of making a trade. But kind of the rub here is... The Bruins really are not in a position to offer back, you know, assets necessarily. You know, they don't have draft picks in the first three rounds this year. You know, and I think there could be something to be said for, okay, maybe you make a trade to see if you can get a pick back. Um, but I think looking at the way that the defense has kind of been shaky at times, you know, what does that left side really look like? You know, Grizzlick has struggled. Um, I think Lindholm's been better recently, but I think he's struggled at times. And, you know, Forbert's had a hard time staying healthy. Um, you know, Watherspoon, I think, has been a good addition, but I think that you need more. You know, Lower Eye's been fine when he's played, but I think that that's an area that does kind of give me some concern um, going forward, going into the playoffs. Um, you know, and I think the Bruins have been very lucky with <clears throat> the great goaltending that they've had that, you know, there's not been a huge amount of concerns. But, you know, I think when, you know, you're going to be playing a lot of hockey, 32 games left, you're going to be playing a lot of hockey in the second half of the year. So, you know, I think... To this point, obviously, they played unbelievable, but I wouldn't be surprised if they start running into some issues uh, defensively. Um, and I think, you know, it's just the, the difficult thing, I think, about the trade deadline is the Bruins obviously are in a great position. And you look at the point total and you look at where they are in the overall standings and you think, oh, okay, this team is primed to you know, have a chance to win a cup. And I think, you know, that kind of leads me to believe that people think that they should approach the deadline differently because of the record that they have, because of the points that they have. And, you know, when I go back to talking about the assets that they have, they really don't have much. You know, I think that there are some people that look at the goaltending as an asset, but it's like, you don't deal from a position of strength. 
I just don't think that you do that for this year's team. Um, and I think, you know, you have pieces that maybe on the roster that you could move, but it's like you really don't have the amount of wiggle room that you did last year. You know, you had a lot of room to make these big-time trades in terms of bringing in Bertuzzi, bringing in, you know, Orlov and the Bruins, you know, unfortunately are right up against it in terms of salary. And so I really don't think that they have the wiggle room to be able to make these big additions. And so I think it's put them in a position where people perceive that the Bruins are in a position of, oh, you know, you're in contention to win a Stanley Cup. You have to make, you know, big, crazy moves at the trade deadline. But I just think, like, the position that you're in, you're not really in a position to go all in and buy at the trade deadline. And it's like, no matter what the record is, this is a discovery year. This is a year that, like, you're not really supposed to be this good. And it's like, it's it's difficult because I think you look at some of the guys in this roster and you think, okay, you really want to try to go for it this year like you did last year, but you really don't have the ammo, you know? You've traded years of first-round picks. And I think at a certain point, like, you have to start thinking about the future and it's hard to when you have this record, but it's kind of like you have to be smart long-term. And I just, I don't think that this is a year where you trade another first-round pick, you trade a bunch of picks to bring in, you know, high, high-priced talent. You know, it's just like, you simply do not have the wiggle room. You simply don't have the assets and you simply don't have the cap space. So, I just like, I think think that people need to not get their hopes up in terms of like, oh my God, they need to do something big at the trade deadline. And if they don't, it's a disappointment. I really don't think that you can look at it that way. So, you know, I think this break will be good for the Bruins. Um, you know, won't be playing until next Tuesday. Have a week off until they'll play. Or they will play in a week against Calgary at the Garden. Um, and then they'll be home for a period of seven games in a row. So that will be good to have them at the Garden for. So these seven games, Calgary, Vancouver, Washington, Tampa Bay, Seattle, Los Angeles, and Dallas. Um, so All-Star Weekend should be exciting this weekend. Uh, Pasternak, Jeremy Swayman. Will be on one of the uh, celebrity. I think I think there's a there's a draft going on on Thursday. We'll take a look at more of that later. Um, but Pasternak and Swayman may be on the team, maybe on the same team, maybe not. Be interesting to see, but it's always a fun um, environment. So make sure you tune into that. I think the All Star Draft um, is Thursday. They're doing a fantasy draft, and then. <clears throat> The game, I think the the skills is on Friday night, and then the game, um, the three-on-three tournament is on Saturday. So we'll take a look at the rosters later in the program. So 
I think that's probably going to do it for the Bruins. Standing in a really good spot um, at the, at the uh, All-Star break. So we're going to get into the Celtics. Really impressed with their win last night um, against New Orleans, uh, I think. There have been a lot of games this year where it kind of looks like they don't have it and, you know, look like it's going to be a game that they kind of, you know, I don't want to say go down easy, but a game where they kind of recognize that they don't have it and kind of just are like, you know what, it's just not our night. And uh, boy, did they show up in the second half. They were really good. Um, you know, Tatum and Brown, I think, in particular, continued to, you know, battle and play aggressively. You know, Tatum with 28 points, 8 assists. But man, Derek White with a number of uh, big shots in the fourth quarter uh, to get the win. Celtics push it across the finish line, win by 6. Um, and I think coming off of Saturday's game, which was, you know, a pretty low effort, bad performance type of game, uh, which unfortunately I was there watching the game, you know, probably one of their, if not their worst performance of the season, where they just didn't play well with really any energy. They come back the next night and, you know, it was interesting because it felt like the first half of that game last night was similar to Saturday's game. But the Celtics came alive in the third quarter and I think were able to come back thanks to some good hustle plays. You know, some plays where there was a block shot or there was a steal or there was just a good, you know, offensive rebound. And I think the Celtics are able to be a team that they can build off of positive things like that. And I think that, look, it's different basketball in the postseason and in the playoffs than in the regular season. And, you know, I think oftentimes the Celtics would just have these moments in the playoffs where they would have something good go for them, and then they kind of just would fall back and not keep that same intensity. And I think for a lot of these games this year where they don't play great in the first half, they really turn it on in the fourth quarter. And I thought last night, really good in the third quarter, not typically something that you've seen from them this year. You know, weirdly, they've not been a good third quarter team. And, you know, oftentimes play really well in the first half and then just kind of coast in the third and don't play their best. That was not the case last night. They really were able to get back into the game. And then fourth quarter, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, finding Derek White. He's just unbelievable the way that he can hit these big, big shots that it's like, Late in the game, Derek White, you know that he's going to make these shots. Um, and I think just gives you great confidence that if the Celtics are down to the wire in some of these games in the playoffs, that, you know, D. White is someone that they can look to so that it doesn't have to be, okay, you have to rely on Tatum and Brown at the end of the game. And I was really impressed with Jason, how aggressive he was in the second half. You know, getting to the basket, throwing down a couple couple dunks. I think that this team is, when they're being very aggressive like that offensively, that's when they're at their best. And I know that 
you know, statistically, they're a great three-point shooting team, and they shoot a lot of threes, and that's just kind of the way they play. But I think when they're taking it to the basket and they're being aggressive and playing the game the right way, they're unbeatable. I think if they're playing that way, there's not really a team that I think can beat them in a seven-game series. And I think it's like moments like that where you're like, this team is so effing good. Um, But I think that they need to be able to have these games where they can find that level Um, because I think sometimes they kind of fall into some of their old traps. But I think they're doing better because you can see the progress. You can see that they're starting to win games that they would have lost last season, um, you know, come up with the big plays. Um, and I think they did a lot of that last night. So, you know, you hope that that continues. Celtics continue to be at home, which is great, I think, considering how dominant they've been at home. It's a good time to be home for this team. So um, I think, curious about how that goes tonight. Celtics are the back-to-back. I uh, play against the Pacers tonight, and then they have the Lakers Thursday and Memphis on Sunday. Marcus Smart will be returning to the Garden. I don't think will be playing uh, for the Grizzlies, but I'm certain that he will be there. So get your tissues out because I'm sure that that uh, tribute video is going to be uh, going to be very emotional for a lot of people. So uh, it'd be nice to see Marcus back in the building uh, with the Grizzlies. So that will be something to look forward to. Uh, Sunday, 6 o'clock start. But I think tonight, Indiana Pacers have been a a thorn in the Celtics' side this year, beating them twice. Um, So I expect a really high-intensity type of game. And, you know, I think second of a back-to-back, we'll see if Porzingis is healthy. You know, could possibly be a little shorthanded with Horford having played last night. So uh, we'll see how they do against Indiana. But it's been a team that... uh, has given the Celtics some pretty entertaining games. So looking forward to that. And the Lakers come in on Thursday. So a couple of very interesting games um, and potentially emotional games uh, for the Celtics in the coming days. Um, I do want to give a shout out to uh, J.D. Davison, who will be part of the G League pool that will get um, selected to play in um I think it used to be called the Rookie Challenge um, at All-Star Weekend, but I think they've made it into something else. Uh, so he will be participating in, uh, I think they do, like a they split the they split the group of players up into four teams. I think it's a combination of G League players, rookies, and second-year players. So you'll see Davison play in some in in those games, hopefully. So. It'd be quite a quite an honor for him. And Jason Tatum has also been selected to be an all-star starter. Not really too much of a surprise, but a nice honor uh, for him. And I think tonight, actually, the all-star reserves will be announced. I think Jalen Brown will almost certainly be selected. And then we'll see if Derek White gets selected. Maybe Porzingis. Maybe Drew Holiday. We'll see. So something to look forward to tonight uh, for the Celtics. So I think, you know, trade deadline's now approaching. It's a week away. You know, I think that much like the Bruins, I don't think the Celtics really have 
the best amount of like room to make a move. They could still, you know, the Celtics do have some picks and they do have an open roster spot and a trade exception. So you could see them making a move, but I think that there's something to be said for this group, particularly being close um, and being a group that really enjoys playing with each other. And so, you know, I think you'd want to be smart in terms of the type of player that you bring in from a personality perspective. You don't want someone that's going to kind of upset team chemistry and things like that. But, you know, I think there could still be a spot for the Celtics to bring in someone off the bench who can kind of lighten some of the, you know, scoring load from Pritchard and Hauser, um, but not someone who's going to command a lot of minutes. So uh, there's a name that I read on ESPN.com last week, um, ironically a player that the Celtics saw last night, uh, Najee Marshall, who uh, plays with some good good energy, can knock down some shots. I think he's shooting uh, career highs from three and from the field this year. So could be someone the Celtics could take a look at, pretty versatile uh, defender. So, you know, I think you'd look for someone that is a wing player, you know, someone that can give you good size, good defense, can shoot a little bit. Um, I think that's what the Celtics will look for. I don't think that they would look for a big or, you know, a point guard type. I think they have enough of those guys. So that will be interesting to see. But yeah, that'll be next week. Um, and we'll actually see how that lines up with our guest Friday to see if that's a trade deadline preview or a recap about the moves that they have made. So second of a back-to-back for the Celtics tonight against the Pacers, 7.30 start, 7.30 start Thursday against the Lakers, and then a 6 p.m. start with the Grizzlies on Sunday. So I think... I think that's going to do it for the Celtics, currently st- sitting at 36-11, and 11, still first place in the East. We will take a look at um, those standings shortly. So, uh, as I said at the top, this podcast may be a little bit shorter because there's not a whole lot of uh, Revolution or Red Sox news. Um, ironically, when I pulled up ESPN to look at baseball, I did see that Justin Turner... Um, has signed a deal with the Blue Jays, so he will officially not be back with the Red Sox. Uh, James Paxton also signed with the Dodgers last week as um, as Evan and I talked about last week, Paxton going to the Dodgers, and I think we both talked about how kind of don't expect the Red Sox to be doing anything major until the start of spring training in a couple of weeks. Uh, But there was a report that the Red Sox are not expected uh, to be offering like a long-term deal for Blake Snell or Jordan Montgomery. Although, you know, I don't think I'd rule out the possibility of a short-term deal. You know, if we get closer and closer to spring training and they maybe realize that their market isn't as good as they thought they would, as, as they thought it would be, do the Red Sox have an outside chance if they're willing to sign like a one or two year deal? Could just be something interesting to pay attention to. I do expect that they'll sign long-term deals, but I think it is a possibility that something else happens. But 
you know, as Evan and I said, I think the group that they have at the moment is most likely going to be the group that they, you know, start spring training with. So, you know, I think offseason maybe wasn't exactly what a lot of people were hoping, but I still think that there's reason to pay attention to the team to, you know, watch the development of certain guys. So it'll be interesting to see, but yeah, spring training, pitchers and catchers reporting in a couple of weeks. So to keep you all updated on that. So we're going to move on to talk about some other kind of other sports stuff. Uh, nothing on the revolution. They'll be starting play in a couple of weeks. May have a uh, revolution themed guest Friday coming up in a couple of weeks, but we'll let you know about that. Um, we're taking a look at some NFL notes. Obviously the conference championship games took place over the weekend wins for both the 49ers and the Chiefs. Um, you know, I think very impressed with the 49ers. Um, they've been a team that I think, in my opinion, at least start to finish, have been the most consistent and best football team this year. Um, although I think dealing with a lot of adversity in these first two playoff games against Green Bay and against Detroit, that they really kind of had to prove that they're not this front-running team, and I think really were able to stick with it. You know, really impressed with the second-half performance against Detroit, um, and then also being able to, you know, for Brock Purdy to engineer that winning drive against Green Bay. So I've been really impressed with them this postseason. Kansas City, I think, kind of, I don't want to say got lucky because that's not the right word, but Baltimore, man, really shot themselves in the foot uh, quite a few times in that AFC championship, you know, honestly, it reminded me a little bit about the Patriots season, just in terms of all these big mistakes that they kept making. And, you know, I just think there are certain teams that have experience with these types of games and know how to win. And a team like Baltimore kind of showed that they don't really know how to win. And, it just kind of was disappointing because I think you think about Harbaugh and you think at this point, the amount of time that he's been in Baltimore, the amount of time that he's coached this team, you would think that they'd be a little bit better prepared uh, with all the, you know, extracurricular penalties they kept getting involved in. You would think they would have been a little bit more disciplined, but, you know, Chiefs make enough plays defensively to get the win. I think the Super Bowl will be a, Pretty interesting matchup. I do think San Francisco gets the better of the Chiefs this time, but we will see. I mean, anytime it's Patrick Mahomes, you kind of have to hope that you can do enough defensively. I think that Baltimore didn't quite put as much pressure on Mahomes as they maybe ought to have ought to have. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see how the Super Bowl goes over. But obviously, we have the two week breaks and no Super Bowl this week, but then the Super Bowl on February 11th. So the some other news, the Chiefs, uh, Charles Amenehu did tear his ACL in the conference championship, so obviously will not play in the Super Bowl. TJ Hawkinson just recently had surgery to repair his ACL. And yeah, Super Bowl will be in Vegas this year. The uh, 
Pro Bowl activities uh, go on this week. And I think that there are some events Thursday night and then Sunday is the flag football game. It is kind of somewhat interesting just to pay attention to. It's, you know, similar to kind of the NBA's All-Star Weekend, just with the different games and events that they do. So if you're interested in that, you can watch that this weekend. Um, So I think we'll take a look at some uh, notes for the NHL. The All-Star break is coming up. Thursday night is the player draft. Uh, So we'll actually take a look at the uh, guys who are going to be selected for the All-Star game or the like, players that they'll be choosing from. Um, and then we'll take a look at the standings. So first, you got two games on the schedule tonight, Columbus and St. Louis at 8 o'clock, and then Seattle and San Jose at 10.30. So we're going to take a look at the rosters that the different people will choose from in terms of so, okay, so uh, there will be a fantasy draft on Thursday, so there will be four different teams of two players and a celebrity that will pick from the pool of players. I thought I had earmarked something about the um, roster of players. Let's see if I can find that. So there are four different teams. One team is um, Team Hughes, which will be led by Jack Hughes and his brother Quinn. Um, and then there'll be celebrities paired with each of the different groups. I think there's that's one team. Then there's a Toronto team with uh, William Nylander and Austin Matthews. And then I think... There's another team with McDavid and Dreisaitl. And then there's, I don't know what the other, I don't know what the other pair is, uh, but that fantasy draft will take place Thursday night. We'll see what the rosters look like. Um, so just going to take a look at the players that were selected. Take a quick look here. Oh, and then the fourth team is Nathan McKinnon and Kale McCarr. Um, so all four of those teams will choose from the uh, pool of players. So here we go. Okay, here we go. Here's the whole list of stars. So we'll just mention that uh, Jack Eichel was selected but won't participate because of injury. And also the same thing for Connor Bedard. And so I think you have... Kyle Connor from Winnipeg, and Vincent Trocheck from the Rangers. That will be added to the roster. So, okay, here are the rest of the names. So uh, we will list the players by the team, so alphabetically. So uh, Frank Vetrano from the Ducks, his first appearance, Clayton Keller from Arizona, Pasternak and Swayman, obviously, from the Bruins, from Buffalo, Rasmus Dahlin, Elias Lindholm from Calgary, Sebastian Ajo from Calgary, or from uh, Carolina, excuse me, 
and then McKinnon, McCarr, and Georgiev from Colorado, Boone Jenner from Columbus, Jake Ottinger from Dallas, uh, Debrinket from Detroit, so Dreisaitl, McDavid from Edmonton, Bobrovsky and Sam Reinhart from Florida, Cam Talbot from the Kings, Kaprizov from Minnesota, Nick Suzuki from Montreal, Philip Forsberg from the uh, Predators, <clears throat> Jack Hughes, Barzal from the Islanders, um, Vincent Trocek, so there are actually 44 guys. I don't think I want to list all these guys, uh, but each team has one. Each team has one representative, and then there are teams that have multiple representatives. So Toronto has Matthews, Marner, Nylander, and Morgan Riley. Um, and Vancouver has also has four guys. Or actually, excuse me, they have five guys with uh, Besser, Thatcher Demko, Quinn Hughes, JT Miller, and, a lot, and Elias Pettersson. So Vancouver and Toronto will be well represented. Um, at the uh, at the All Star game and uh, skills competition, so that all takes place this weekend. Player draft is Thursday, skills competition is Friday, and then the uh, three on three tournament will be Saturday. So I like what they're doing going back to the player draft. Just think it makes it a little bit more interesting with uh, players picking each other. So that will be interesting to see. So we'll take a look at some MLB notes, go to NBA, and then we'll be we'll be out of here. <laughs> so Justin Turner, as I said, <clears throat> um, <laughs> signing a one-year deal with the Blue Jays. <laughs> um, Aaron Hicks signing with the Angels. Um, and Jimmy Williams, who is a former Red Sox manager uh, from 1997 to 2001, uh, passed away yesterday at the age of 80. It was the 1999 American League Manager of the Year as he led the Red Sox to the American League Championship Series. So, take a quick look at the NBA. I just realized that I completely forgot to... Uh, update the uh, NHL standings almost at the all-star break. So I'm actually going to go do that quickly. So as I mentioned, Bruins top of the Eastern Conference, top of the Atlantic, followed by Florida and Tampa Bay. The Rangers in first place in the Metro, followed by Carolina and Philadelphia. And then the wildcard teams, Toronto and Detroit. So the Red, the Bruins would be a uh, matched up to play the Red Wings if the playoffs started today. And then the next closest team for the wild card in the East is the Islanders, five points back of the Red Wings. In the Western Conference, Colorado, Dallas, and Winnipeg atop the Central, or Colorado atop the Central, followed by Dallas and Winnipeg. It's been pretty contentious division fight this year. Uh, Vancouver in first in the Pacific, followed by Vegas and Edmonton. Vancouver and the Bruins tied with 71 points for the most in the league. 
and then the Kings and the Blues are tied atop the wild card with the Predators uh, even in points. So now we're going to go back to some NBA to some NBA notes. There's been a lot of high-scoring games recently. Luka Doncic was 73 points the other night. Joel Embiid at 70 recently. Devin Booker at 62. So quite a few um, high-scoring games, let's just say. So I'll take a look at some NBA notes. Ben Simmons returning after missing about 40 games. Nearly had a triple-double in the Nets win last night. The uh, Bucks dropped their first game with uh, Doc Rivers as their coach last night. So that was kind of an interesting situation I did not see coming. As the uh, Bucks fired Adrian Griffin, brought in Doc Rivers. Not really sure how that's going to work out. Uh, Denver actually beat them last night in their first game with the new coach. So we'll take a look at some games tonight. Celtics and Pacers, obviously, at 7.30. Also at 7.30, Lakers and the Hawks and the Jazz and Knicks. And then at 8 o'clock, you have Toronto and Chicago. And then at 10 o'clock, Philadelphia and Golden State. So taking a look at the standings, Celtics still remain first place with a four-game lead over second place Milwaukee. And then they are followed by Philadelphia, New York, Cleveland and Indiana, who the Celtics will see tonight. And then in the play-in spots, the Heat, the Magic, the Bulls, and the Nets with Atlanta, even with the Nets for that last play-in spot. In the Western Conference, Minnesota still leads the conference, but just by a half game over Denver. And then Oklahoma City is next in third, and then followed by the Clippers, the Kings, and the Suns. With Dallas, New Orleans, the Lakers, and the Jazz in the play-in spots. With Houston just one game back of that final play-in spot. So I think it's going to do it for me this week. Um, apologize for No Guest Friday this week. Had a little bit of a scheduling issue, but uh, we will be back next week. Depending on the timing, maybe a preview of the trade deadline, maybe a recap of what the Celtics do. So that's our plans uh, for next week, but we will be back with you folks next Monday or Tuesday. We'll let you folks know. All right. So everyone enjoy the rest of your day and we will uh, talk to you next week.